Well, hello and welcome to Growing Up with Papa. My name is Jason Ashley and I'm your host and Papa to about a dozen of the best kids in the world. We'll be tackling everything from bullfrogs to nursing home residents and talking about all the stuff that we've learned along the way. So if you're all grown up, then well, you know how important it is during the quiet alone times in your life to be to be able to be happy with who you are and have a peace with decisions that you've made. And you might know how tough it is to live with shame and scars because, well, you didn't have somebody to help point you in the right direction. Well, it takes a lot of love and some heavy-duty, hands-on commitment to help point kids in the right direction. And we hope you get on board and enjoy this wild ride we call Growing Up with Papa. Here we are back again with another stacked-up edition of Growing Up with Papa. Today, I want to talk about an awesome experience we had while in California on a Friday night when we got to spend the night in the home of Reverend Bishop Larry Booker and his beautiful, lovely wife. Now, Brother Booker was not home. He was out of town preaching, and I think Sister Booker told me that she wouldn't see him this time for like 30 days. So, he's out spreading the word. And here we are laid up in his house drinking his coffee while he's on the road. But Sister Booker was such a sweet, sweet host. And I told her, and I told several other people, she reminded me so much of my grandmother, my mama, that I talk about on here sometimes that was the light of my life for many years. She was the one who took me to church every time the doors opened and taught me so much such a sweet spirit. And Sister Booker had that same personality characteristics that my grandmother had. She didn't mind telling you the truth. <laughs> she didn't beat around the bush. A precious lady. She told us all about her her past. We told her all about our lives. She told us all about what she did, her children, some of the same uh, hobbies that my grandmother had. She quilted Sister Booker quilted the way they acted and talked so much alike. And she was such a precious, precious lady. And it was an unbelievable experience to be able to stay in their home for just one night and get to know her. And I picked up one of Brother Booker's Bibles sitting by his chair. And around here, Brother Booker is, he's just a legend. People have listened to his preaching and shared his preaching for many years and when he does come through, everybody just drives however far it takes to get there and listen to him. But I shared a story with Sister Booker about a message that Brother Booker preached that had such an impact on my family. And this is what I told her. So I had to kind of paint a picture of my life, my family, and all that before I could get into the meat of the story. So I told her that I was actually sixth-generation apostolic Pentecostal, which is hard to believe at me being, I'll be 50 years old in October, and going back and counting generations, and it don't really add up, but what happened? Holy Ghost revival swept through the part of the country that I grew up in and live now in the 30s, early 30s, I think. So during that those brush arbor times, whenever the people would gather up in communities and the Holy Ghost would fall and they would have tent revivals and brush arbors, they called them. Whenever that happened, about three generations worth of my family 
actually got in church at that time. So I would have my great, great, great grandmother and grandfather who died in the 50s. My great, great grandparents right along in the same revivals and my great grandparents all got in church at that same time. And then from that point, uh, my family's been in church every generation since, except for, and this is the part I wanted to talk about with Sister Booker, except for my daddy, that that generation, my parents didn't ever go to church. My daddy was raised around it, but his parents really didn't get in until he was teenager years. So he didn't have that raising in the middle of church like like I had. So for years, my daddy was the missing link in that sixth generation chain. And I have children, grandchildren now. So, I mean, that's, that's stretching it out. He was a missing link for many years. So I got to paint a picture of who my daddy is and kind of his reputation, his character. So we're in the South and there's such a thing as Southern pride. And, you know, being a man in, in the hills of Louisiana is a man that takes care of his family, works hard. He's, he's a good, honest, hard man who raises his family right, disciplines, but you work for everything you get. But it also creates a personality a lot of times that God can't hardly work through. You see, my daddy was a strong man, not just physically, and he was that. His, his reputation of uh, strength, and he had arms like Hulk Hogan. I mean, he just worked in oil field all his life, and these men would see me out in public and say, your daddy's Ricky Ashley? I said, yes, sir. He said, man, I seen him pick up a stem of drill pipe and whatever. I mean, just different stories of feats of strength and how mean looking he was and how bad he was. And just that's the reputation he had. So to maintain that, he didn't show emotions. And that's just the way daddy was. Nobody saw him cry. He didn't go around lovey-dovey. Just the way my daddy was, you wasn't going to sit down and give him a Bible study, you know. It was just that, that personality, that, that hard-shell character that he had. Whoa, Boots. When you hear that sound, that means it's time for hair and a biscuit. That's right. Just a little something you wasn't expecting that we're going to pull out and check out before we go any further. All right, get ready, Boots. Here we go. Hair and a biscuit. Hey, for a hair and a biscuit today, I'm going to tell you a story about the flood of 1982. I think it was 86. We were living in the house that I actually own now. I bought this from my mom and daddy. And it came a torrential flood. It rained for like 12 hours straight, like 18 inches total, something like that. It was crazy. So where we are, we're not in the flood plains, the, the swamp land, the flat land. We're in the hills of LaSalle Parish. But flash floods... We'll fill these creeks up, and we're in a creek bottom. So this is where we was living at the time. Since then, my house has been lifted up, and I think we're safe now. But in 1986, I think it was, it rained all night long. And I woke up to the sound of my daddy outside calling for the dog. And so I slipped up and pulled the curtain back and looked outside, and it was still raining, still lightning, 
little before daylight. Lightning lit the sky up just a minute, and I could see that there was a lake of water. And my daddy was wading around in the water in the yard, and water was all up around the house. And the, our squirrel dog was up under the house, and he was whining. He was flopping his ears. You could hear him under there. Daddy was trying to get him out from under the house, coax him out from under. But the dog would have had to went underwater, so he was just trapped. So it was still raining hard. So here come Daddy in the house with a power saw, coming to my bedroom, cranked it up. And Mama, she's, we're all trying to figure out where the dog's at now. She said, I think I heard him over here. So we went over to my brother's room and in the closet. He cut the floorboards out of the house and tore them away. And the water was rising so fast that as he was cutting, water was coming up inside the house. And he reached in there and felt and pulled, but couldn't find the old dog. Old Sarge was his name. And we found him after the water went down. Mom and Daddy had a picture of him painted by a local artist, and it's still hanging in their house today. But the water kept on rising, kept on coming up, and it got about a foot and a half deep in this house. We had landlines back then. My daddy got on the telephone, called my grandpa. He lived a couple miles over. He said, uh, can you come over here in the boat and get us? He said, in the boat? He said, yeah, I'm standing in water in my house right now. He said, I'll be over there in a minute. So my grandpa launched his boat up the road on the side of a hill and motored all the way down this creek bottom, across the bridge, over our fence in our house, and pulled up on the front porch, and we stepped in the boat and got out of here. But in the meantime, my brother had got a remote control boat for Christmas, and he was running it up and down the halls, having him a good time. <laughs> my mama was panicking, trying to pick stuff up, trying to get stuff off the floor and out of the bottom drawers of the dresser. We had a big mess to clean up when it was over with, but the house made it through. But poor old Sarge, he's just a picture on a wall now. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. So I started off trying to give him some uh, some music because at the time I was playing music and, and a lot of music is inspirational and I'd give him some good bluegrass gospel or some stuff that I thought he might connect with and be influenced by but it didn't work I think at the time we was doing cassette tapes the CDs were out I remember that and I think he had one truck he could play a CD in but somewhere in the midst of that was a cassette tape of Brother Booker preaching the message The Sure Mercies of David so my daddy's had a sawmill for many years and uh, a winch truck, a gin truck, where he would load the logs on and off the mill. And we'd work like dogs and slave away and packing slabs, stacking lumber. And I noticed getting in the truck to move a log or something one day that the sure mercies of David was in the cassette player and Larry Booker was just preaching away. I said, well, look at here. And then I got to noticing that being outside my home, we all live in the same creek bottom within rock throwing distance of each other. I would hear Daddy kill that old winch truck, but he would leave it. You know how you leave the key on accessories where you didn't turn it all the way off where the cassette player was still going. So while he was out milling around, you could hear Brother Booker from across the creek preaching, and he would let it play. And he would listen to that sermon over and over. And mind you, he, he hadn't been to church in years. But that sermon, I believe, softened his heart so much. And one Wednesday night, he just showed up at church. And everybody was like, what's going on here? And it was a really a, a pretty dry church service. We had singing. 
we had preaching, and actually, we didn't even have altar call that night. We were dismissed in the pews, and Daddy didn't make it out the door. When Mama hugged him, <laughs> he broke down, and everybody went to praying with him, and he got the Holy Ghost the first time he showed up, simply because the Word of God, through that message, the sure mercies of David, had conditioned his heart in a way that nothing else could. And he received the Holy Ghost that night because his field had been plowed over and over by Bishop Booker. And he was so ready to receive. And if you've never heard that message, I'm not going to get into what it's all about. But for a good, hardworking Southern man who has done his best to raise a family physically, this is a phenomenal message to reach their hearts. And to this day, everybody that my daddy meets and sees, he does his best to testify to them, to preach to them, to try to get them to come to church. He's still sawing logs and selling lumber or giving lumber away, but he uses that so many times to try to get people to come to church or, or preach to them or get their eyes open and get them awake of the coming of the Lord. And he'll cry at the drop of a hat now which is total opposite of what he used to be. Everybody that knows him will testify to this fact. The Holy Ghost changed him completely. From the hard man he used to be, the prideful, stubborn brick wall of a man, to a big old teddy bear, to a big old weeping, mushy, pray with you in the altar, cry with you, trying to get you to come to church. That's what the Holy Ghost will do. And that's what the preached Word of God will do. So before I went to California, I was telling Pastor and another guy in our church about that, that testimony, about that message and what it did. And the guy that was listening to us, he's kin to me too. He's a distant cousin. He spun around and looked at me hard in the eyes. He pointed his finger. He said, that exact message done the same thing with his uncle. He said, Whenever his grandchildren started being born, he brought him a cassette tape of the sure mercies of David and handed it to him and said, Unc, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to listen to this. He said, I'll do it. He said, and it wasn't long afterwards that he showed up at church and prayed through. And I was able to share that testimony with Sister Booker. And she just fell back in her chair and held her chest and said, Oh, that message is still doing a work all across the nation. She said, there's no telling how many lives it has touched and changed. She said, it still gets me every time I listen to it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on there a minute, Boots. When you hear that sound, that means we fixing to kick open the feed barrel and dig around a little bit, because there's more in there than just horse feed. <laughs> For our horse feed today, I want to talk about reciprocating love and ask you this question is God's blessings enough to keep us from falling you see Adam and Eve began their lives receiving blessings receiving love and sustenance God wanted to love them to give to them to commune with them with only one small stipulation one little thin line one easy rule you see the law of give and take or reciprocation should have been in effect but mankind's flesh became dominant without guidelines. The life that they were living was costing them absolutely nothing. No sacrificing, no obligations. 
Now, I'm sure that they loved God and they reciprocated his love, but they weren't required to give, just receive. Maybe God realized that this was a dangerous situation for mankind to be in, to be independent, without burdens and pains, with everything that the kingdom had to offer at their fingertips. Maybe that's why God placed an angel with a flaming sword guarding the entrance to the garden. Think about that. Because the damage was already done to mankind after the fall, there was nothing else that could have been done to make matters worse. So what's the reason for blocking the entrance? Maybe God didn't want mankind to experience a life of pleasure and ease anymore for fear of what it done to them or what it would do to them. You see, pampered man becomes spoiled rotten and will self-destruct. Eden will give us more opportunity to fall to weakness. Sufferings and guidelines with commandments and consequences will keep us closer to him and further from the serpent.